Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss the topic of things you need to know and think through when you take an animal in for processing. To discuss this topic today, I'm joined by Dr. Jordan Wicks, who's a Nebraska Extension Meat Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Well, Dr. Wicks, this is the first time we've had the privilege of having you on the Beef Watch podcast. Uh, You recently joined the university as an extension beef specialist, or I should say, recently joined the university as an extension meat specialist. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little more about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, I mean, just like everybody's story, it starts a long time ago. Um, I grew up in central Illinois and I got into meat at a pretty young age uh, through the 4-H and FFA uh, meat judging circuit. So I... I found, I kind of found a knack for that pretty early on and, and really enjoyed, you know, going into the lockers, going to the meat competitions. And so when it came time to go graduate from high school and go on and further my career, I went to Southern Illinois University and I studied uh, animal science there. Now, Southern Illinois University didn't have a meat science program, um, but I did get a, a really well-rounded and hands-on education in animal husbandry and, and animal science. From there, I went down to Auburn University and I studied under Dr. Christy Bratcher studying meat science. And I worked on some pre-harvest and food safety and interventions in pork. And uh, when I completed that, I went on to work in industry. So I worked for a small startup company in North Alabama that was processing pigs. So I was the plant manager there. It was a really great experience. I was able to go into basically what was a kind of a abandoned old meat processor. It was actually an emu processing plant a long time ago. And we renovated that and hired in all brand new crew. And, and uh, I helped, you know, get that place up off the ground and get running. That was a very valuable experience for me professionally. I learned a lot about a lot of different things. And then from there, I went down and worked at a smoked sausage company doing food safety and, and quality. So I was overseeing that and helping with some of the expansions that they were doing at the time in order to get into some of the larger club stores, such as Sam's and Costco, things of that nature. And then about 2014, I decided I was maybe going to go back to school. So I got a job at Virginia Tech as the meat lab manager. And I went in there and that was kind of a, a needed a little um, life brought back to the program, the meat science program. So I started working on building up the students that were in the meat lab, started building up the, the meat lab and what it was capable of doing and, and really ran it as a almost a small operation where I was training students and getting them um, skilled at, at at cutting, at processing, at safety, et cetera. Um, I also did teaching and research there and extension work as well. And so um, in 2023, just last year, I finished my PhD, which I was doing part-time while I worked full-time at the university. And I studied meat science, of course, uh, with an emphasis in beef, grass versus grain, and some color development work there. And then in August, I came out to, uh, to UNL, and now I'm here just getting going and excited to be a part of this, really. We got a lot of really good things going here at the university and got a great meat lab and a great team. And so getting plugged into the state, uh, touring a few places, and it's been going good so far. So, Dr. Wicks, you're in a place where you've had a lot of experience from a, a meat processing, beef, pork processing side. What are some things that producers who are thinking about taking an animal in for processing need to think through, need to be prepared for as they do that? So the first thing that they probably need to think about is, is is when they bring it home. And that's part kind of thinking about it backwards, which is, are we going to have enough freezer space? And I think a lot of times people take animals, and I know this from some good friends that have gone and picked up product before, and then they go, 
Uh, I guess I'm going to run to the hardware store, or the Lowe's and go buy a new freezer. So first thing is making sure that what you purchase is what you can take, right? We don't want to waste food. We don't want to get home and realize it's not going to fit in our freezers. So that's part one. So do we have the space? And so, you know, a good rule of thumb is if, if you have a quarter of beef, you need a four cubic foot. If you have a half a beef, you need eight cubic foot. If you have a whole beef, you need 16 cubic foot, right? So basically a full chest freezer is, is what you need for a full beef. So some of that gets a little bit in oversight. But the other things um, that you need to think about is what are you wanting to get out of this? Are you wanting to get a high quality custom cut? Is this something that is... We had, a, you know, we had the, we had an animal, we needed to call it, uh, understanding your expectations of what that product should look like. So for instance, if we take a really well-finished animal, you know, maybe a yield grade three choice and higher up in quality, you know, we may want to think about how we want that cut and process versus something that, you know, we may have just called from the herd and go, well, you know, it might do okay. You might want that process differently. So thinking about what it is that you're expecting that how that animal to perform when it gets on the rail. Uh, so for instance, if we had a call animal, you know, we may take most of that into ground beef, right? But if we had a, if a you know, high quality carcass hanging on the rail, we may think more about, well, let's go ahead and, and get more steaks, more roasts, more value added cuts that we could add to that. Um, and sure, it may add a little bit more price point to your processing fees, but if you're going through all of that, you know, it may be worth it to you. And, and that's all a little bit of, of preference, personal preference. So those are things to think about. But if we even take it a little bit back to the beginning is, is getting that animal to the locker, right? So we want to make sure that when we take them to the locker, that we keep them off feed for at least 12 hours. Of course, we want them to have access to water. But to make the, the job easier on our, on our processor side of it, we want to make sure that we're working with an animal that doesn't have a full rumen or a full stomach if it's a pig, um, because that that can lead to some a little bit more tricky situations in in the gutting and evisceration process, uh, which could potentially lead to some more contamination, um, which would have to be trimmed off, which would lower your, your actual yield that you would get back, right? So things to think about on that sense. Um, anything that you could do to help make sure the animal is comfortable and calm. So if you do have to travel further, you might want to show up the night before or early in the morning um, to allow them a little bit more downtime or, or laryngage time in the pen so they can kind of calm down and rest. Other things to think about from, from a producer standpoint or taking your product is really meeting with your with your butcher and walking through their cut sheets, understanding uh, what are what are they capable of doing and understand what those cuts would look like, what it looks like coming back. You know, are they going to, how are they going to package it? Is it one steak per bag, two steaks? You know, are we doing hamburger patties? Do we want one pound ground beef versus two pound? So really going through that and, and asking the questions to your processor to make sure that you understand what you're going to get when you get it back. So those are some things, the basics that you want to understand going into it. So one of the things I see sometimes happen is people take an animal in and they have expectations around how long that animal should hang and what they should get back in terms of percent of live weight. What are some things to just remember and think through with that when you take an animal, we're talking beef here, and to be harvested? Sure. So when, when you take a live animal in, let's say it's you know a, a 12 or 1400 pound animal. Once you remove the head, the hide, the viscera, you're going to lose some weight in that. And, and, and I'm sure producers understand that, that to an extent, 
However, I don't know that they understand exactly how much they lose. So a normal dressing percentage, which is going to be the difference between the live and the carcass, which is what it dresses or our yield off the kill floor, is going to be about 60 to 63%. Now that can vary based on the age, the gut fill, the hide. You know, when we're in mud season, we may have a lot heavier and that's not, that's not real weight, but it weighs on a scale as real, right? So you make it, it may seem like a lower dressing percentage if they got a lot of tag on mud on them. So those are some things that kind of go into that off the kill floor, the harvest, right? The initial loss. And then you're going to have a shrink weight in the cooler, right? Because you know, meat is a lot, mostly water. And so that's going to evaporate as, as the carcass cools and chills. And so you're, you're looking at, you know, maybe depending on, on the carcass temperature and what you were working with, you know, somewhere around six to 10 pounds per side. So now you're up to 12 to 20 pounds just in shrink overnight. So you start to lose these things every day on the rail. And um, some of this stuff probably needs to be a little bit more thought out um, and, and custom to the locker because a lot of it will depend on the aging time, the temperature, um, things of that nature. But I think what you can expect, if you get an 800-pound carcass, right, from like a 1,200-pound animal, what you're really going to get when you get it back is somewhere between like 450 and 500 um, pounds, right? So you're you're getting a little even somewhere at best 50% of what you took in. Now understand that all of that, most of that weight is going to come back to you as as ground beef. If you, if you get a whole beef, you're looking at somewhere around two to 250, uh, 200 to 250 pounds just in ground beef. Now that can become more or less depending on how you get it cut. Bone-in cuts would allow for a higher intact muscle, right? So full steaks, full roast. Um, but the more boneless and the more trimming you do, uh, the more that's going to have to go into, into a ground beef product or another value-added product, which they may make you a summer sausage or, or something like that as well. The other thing is, is, when we're talking about these pretty high yields on the cut table, right? Another, if you take it into another 60%, is that the same as if it hangs for 21 days? No, you should expect less than that. So while aging can really improve some of the, the fullness of beef flavor, some more tenderness, it doesn't increase your yields. So with that aging time, it may become a little bit more expensive for your processing, um, simply because that takes up real estate, right? So if that's if that's taking up real estate in the locker um, and they can't get more head or animals in because it's hanging there, they've got to charge for that, right? But with that, while you may have a more exceptional eating experience because it may be more flavorful, it may be more tender, it's also going to be less pounds back, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think sometimes folks don't understand or may not realize the longer the animal hangs, there's going to continue to be evaporation and weight loss there. And then sometimes there's also additional trimming that happens as well. And so you are potentially losing some product the longer you let it hang. Right. And so when when we talk about the extra trimming that comes from that is because the surface will dehydrate. So in order for us to present a really nice um, product, obviously we want to kind of trim off some of that uh, dried up fat or lean. And so that will also contribute to that. Another area where you may run into a little bit lesser yields is on fatter animals. So when you you go into a store and you look at um, the meat in the case, everything's cut, you know, about a quarter inch of fat on every steak or or even on chops, you know, pork chops. Um, it's all the same fat thickness, roughly. Um, and so in order to do that, they have to trim off as much or as little as possible as they need, right? So the fatter the animal, the more waste you get in that. 
And that's important to think about when we think about ground beef. We start to think about, well, I want to have every steak. I want to have every roast. And so then you really are getting down to more of a a fattier ground beef and maybe a gristly. I, I remember I talked to a woman years ago. She called and she goes, well, I'll get my, I get my beef from here. And it's always gristly. And I kind of talked to her and I'm like, well, you didn't really leave them anything to work with. Like you took every steak, every roast, everything. So really you were just getting down to some scraps that were coming off some bones and things of that. So when you start to go through and sit with your processor and talk about, you know, how you want to get it cut, remember that ground beef does not need to be the afterthought. It needs to be almost a primary thought because of course you're going to take the middle meats, right? The ribeyes, the New York strips, the fillets, but what are we doing with the chuck? What are we going to do with the round? Because remember, like I said, you're going to have about two to 250 pounds of ground beef. And we want to make sure that it's not all gristle and not all fat. So balancing that and making sure you're incorporating some good and lean into that, maybe from the round or maybe from the from the chuck area uh, could help lean some of that out and provide you with a really exceptional um, ground product. So let's talk about the ground product a little bit. And obviously different people have different preferences on fat content, but from your experience, what are some things to consider with that? Right. So there are different fat contents that you can you can get. Legally, ground beef cannot exceed 30% fat. So a lot of times people want to take things like the beef plate, which is a very fatty portion of the carcass, and grind that. Well, that could really alter unless you have something to balance it with. And so when you're wanting to get uh, most consumers, uh, the number one beef, ground beef product sold is an 80-20. Um, so that means you have 80% lean, 20% fat. Now, again, you could have leaner or you could have fatter, but for the most part, uh, people are going for an 80-20. And so when we think about trying to create that as a, from a processing standpoint, we want to think about, well, where can we grab some product to help lean that up? And so a lot of times you want to go to the round and there will be some trim there that will naturally occur, but also thinking, you know, we have a top round, a bottom round and an eye round. Do you need to get all three to four roasts out of a bottom round? Do you need to get, um, you know, you can cut one and a half inch London broils or thicker top round roasts out of a, out of a top round and, you know, come out of there with like seven or eight of those. Is that what you need? Or can we send half of that to ground beef? Same for the chuck. Do we need to get every single chuck roast? Or maybe if we do a whole beef, we do, you know, one side of that goes into roast and the other side we're going to put into grind. Um, and so that can help balance it. But the areas that you're going to look to really add some lean to balance this out is going to be in your chuck, your shoulder clod, which is basically the, the front arm, and then and then the back leg or the round. In order to take some of the fat out, how can you do that? That's another thing, right? So I, I mentioned the, the beef plate is pretty fatty, um, almost 50% fat. So how do we how do we balance that? We could leave those bone in and do short ribs. That's a nice way to, to not put both sides of that in. Also, you know, taking briskets um, and and trying to keep those either as in portions as, of, of halves of either the flat and the point to kind of eliminate some of the fattier spots on that. But really what, what you're trying to do is balance that based on your cut sheet. So remember when you go through your cut sheet, you go, oh, I want that cut. I want this cut. I want that cut. You do. I understand that. But you also are going to end up with a lot of ground beef and you need to kind of understand and if you don't know what kind of ground beef you want, go to the store before you purchase this animal or take it to the market and go, what one do I like the best? Do I like this, this flavor that's a little bit more fatty? Do I like this one that's lean? Because um, you pretty much got one shot to get it. 
uh, when you go in and take one full carcass. So you really want to be able to communicate to your processor. You know what? I really like a leaner ground beef. I, I actually like it, you know, a 93.7, which would be super lean. So then we got to figure out what to do with some of that fat, right? And get rid of that in a, in a different way. So just understanding what you prefer and then talking to your your processor and go, I really like a leaner one. I really like an 80-20. I really like a fattier one. And they should be able to help you kind of work through some of that as far as the cut sheet. But don't forget about the ground beef is really the biggest point. Think about that in the beginning so that you come home with a with a quality ground product that you enjoy. What are some other things you would encourage folks to think through having worked on the processing side? How can folks help their processor uh, meet their expectations? Yeah, I think the, the thing that they can um, do to help their processor is really understand what they want and not just what they want as a consumer, but also what they're asking for. So, you know, I know we want to talk about beef today and this, this fits, but pork may be a better example of it. So when we think about pork, there's five main cuts, right? You have a shoulder, a picnic, a loin, a belly, a ham. And those can be broken down in a couple of ways. But really, when you when you break down a pig, the easiest thing to think about is, okay, we're going to take the Boston butt, which is the top of the shoulder, the picnic, which is the bottom of the shoulder. The loin will turn into some back ribs, and boneless pork chops. Uh, the belly will turn into bacon. And then we have the ham. And what are we going to do with the ham? Maybe we'll make a ham. Maybe we'll make it into a roast. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll make it into sausage. A lot of times people will want to buy a half of half of a um, of a pig, right? They go, well, I'll get a half pig. And they'll get the pig and they'll want three different types of sausage, a ham, a bacon, and all this. And you, that's not going to happen. There's not enough meat there to do everything. And sometimes the, the cut sheets are so broad because they want to appeal to a lot of different types of consumers. So then when you are unaware of what you're asking for, you start asking for things that aren't necessarily possible for the amount of meat that you'll get. Same would go for a beef quarter. So you're going to get a quarter of beef. Well, that you went from an 800 pound carcass down to about a 250 pound carcass with about good case scenario, 60% yield on that, right? So when you're saying, I want this, this, and this, that's not necessarily possible. So understanding what you're asking for based on what you can get. And there's a lot of really great things online where you can just simply go to like, the, you know, any of the, the, the beef checkoff websites, pork checkoff websites, there'll be images of the carcass. And that can, as you start to fill out your cut sheets, I would encourage um, producers who are taking animals to harvest to look at those and go, okay, so what could I get? Okay. Does that leave me very much? Um, so keep those things in mind. Um, because if you want to get, you know, Italian sausage and breakfast sausage and patties and links, then you're going to need more than one hog to get that, to make it more than, you know, a couple pounds at a time. Dr. Wicks, anything else you'd like to highlight today as we think about processing and just key things from your perspective to know and understand when you take an animal in? So the, the things that I would kind of want to leave people with is that, um, you know, there's a lot of producers out here in Nebraska and across the U.S. that are doing a great job um, producing high quality animals. And, you know, there's a lot of meat processors here in Nebraska and again, across the country that are, that take a lot of pride in what they do. And I think the biggest thing to do is, is have communication with the processor. So if you're the producer, you know, make sure you talk to them. And if you're selling an animal um, to someone for harvest, so a custom, right? So, you know, maybe I want to buy one of your steers. Um, it's important for, for you to talk to me. And for me to talk to you and you to talk to the processor, make sure that there's a good line of communication so everyone understands what they're getting into, what they're going to get out of it, and really what the cost is going to be, right? So sometimes I think um, some of the things that are going on right now is 
we saw the pandemic, everyone wanted to get um, everything slaughtered, right? So the, so the, the wait list became very long. So people were booking a year out, two years out. I think we're still looking at some of that six month to, to even a year, depending on the locker of booking, but there's also a lot of cancellations occurring. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, let's say I'm trying to, to market my beef and I sell, you know, an animal to a guy and I go, Hey, I'll take it to the locker, this and that. And then they realize that there's a cost to the carcass. There's a cost to the processing. And so making sure that everybody understands how this works is is going to be really important to continue to have the success of, of more of a local food movement. And um, so just having that, that open line of communication with the processor and the producer and the customer. Well, Dr. Wicks, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate your perspective. I think it's always good to understand what's happening on the other side of those doors when you take an animal in to get processed. And folks that are processing, it's an important job. It's hard work. And they've got a lot of challenges to make things work on their end as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for more information on Dr. Wicks, you can find her contact information. She's in the Department of Animal Science there. She's a meat extension specialist.